to see all of you here this morning. Glad you're here. If you're one of our guests, we are glad you're here. The Lord is glad you're here. We hope you will stick around our services. Let's get to know you, and you get to know us as well. If you want to grab your Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 2. We will be reading verses 15 through 17 of 1 John 2. We continue to work our way through this book, which again is designed to give us assurance that we have fellowship with God, that we presently have eternal life with the promise that there's more in store. That is why John wrote this book to these Christians then, and it speaks a similar word of assurance to us all these years later as well. As we've been going through chapter 2, we have seen that our fellowship, our communion with God is rooted in the work that Christ accomplished in being propitiation for our sins. And then we saw also that our communion with God is connected to our obedience to God. In other words, if you want to know God, obey Him. We also saw that our fellowship, our communion with God is connected to keeping the new commandment, which is loving one another. And how we want to avoid darkness and walk in the light of love toward one another. We saw several purpose statements from John last week as we went through verses 12 through 14. And saw that, yes, our sins really are forgiven. We stand forgiven. And the blood of Jesus continues to cleanse us as we stand in the fountain of the blood of Christ. But also, we are overcoming the world, uh, and specifically we're overcoming the devil, and all of the things that are involved in that as well. John continues here in verses 15 through 17, and he communicates to us that our fellowship with God is rooted in our love for God, and that is in sharp contrast with love for the world. Hear now the word of the true and living God, 1 John 2, beginning in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let us pray. Fan into flame our love for you, Father, and extinguish any love for the world that may be in us. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. There are only two kinds of people in the world. I guess we could even summarize it down. There's, there, there are only sinners in the world, but there are lost sinners and there are saved sinners. Lost sinners are under the power of the evil one. Whereas saved sinners, Christians, are under the power and influence of God. Those two people groups 
have different affections. Christians are called to love the Father. The world, though, is loved by lost sinners, everyone else. There are only two affections, only two loves. There is the proper expression of love that every single creature owes their Creator, which is love of the Father. And then there is this, this, the, this disordered affection of love for the world. To these Christians, John writes an imperative, a command. Do not love the world, or it could be translated also as stop loving the world which then kind of flavors the context into which John was writing. Was it that there were some Christians whose love for the Father had grown dim and and now they were swallowed up and eaten up with love for the world? Stop loving it. Do not love the world or the things in the world. We should talk about the world here for just a moment. Because what is it that John is communicating here? Is he saying, don't love the created order that God created good? Uh, That is, you know, when you look at a a sunset over the mountains, don't love that. You know, sometimes that word world is used in that way. But is that the way John is using it here? Hmm. Sometimes the world is used to denote people. And in particular, those for whom Christ died. Is that what John is communicating here? That we're not supposed to love people? Now we see, ah, words derive their meaning from context. That's a very important biblical interpretation principle, brothers and sisters. That if we would properly parse and properly understand what is being communicated, we need to recognize That when we see the world, world, sometimes it doesn't mean world like we think it means world. And indeed, John uses that term world, cosmos, in the original, several different ways. And it depends upon who you ask, but somewhere upwards to even 14 different ways John will use the word world. How is he using it here? He is using it to communicate that there is an ordered system... And the head of that system, which is called world here, is the devil. This is directly connected to the end of this epistle, chapter 5, verse 19. We know that we are from God. Notice the distinction here. We are from God. The whole world lies under or in the power of the evil one. This is the way John is using the word world here. It is communicating, uh, again, this idea of system or even a worldview perspective which is fallen, which is worldly, which is in the control of the evil one. So, no, you can go and, yes, enjoy that sunset that God has providentially provided you this evening. And you are to love your neighbor as you love yourself. But when it comes to this world, this fallen ordered system, this fallen worldview perspective that is under the power of the evil one. No, no, no. The Christian is not to love that. Because if you love what is earthly, what is worldly, John says the love of the Father is not in you. 
Notice again the contrast here. Two different loves, which, by the way, challenges and confronts the popular notion today, well, you know, love is love. Not according to God. There are some loves that God hates. And right here we see the love of the world is love that is opposed to the kind of love that God desires from Christians. This faulty notion that love is love fails to recognize there are, dis, there are disordered affections. Affections that are actually derived from the fall and our fallenness. And those kinds of loves are to be abandoned. Do not love the world. Do stop loving the world. But those good loves, those holy loves, like love of the Father, love for Christ, love for the Holy Spirit, a proper love for our neighbor as we love ourselves, in particular here, love for the Father, that is to be cultivated. That is to be developed. And that is what ought to consume us. John gives several reasons as to why we should not love the world. And the first here in verse 15 is that the world cannot give you what you need. It cannot give you what you need. What we really need is to love the Father. But the world can't give us that. The world only gives us, well, he's going to list three things in verse 16. Desire or lust of the flesh. Uh, desire, lust of the eyes, pride of life, pride, of, pride in possessions. They can't give us that, that love that we really need. And in fact, what often ends up happening when we love the world is we end up putting uh, secondary things as primary things. We end up turning things that, that in and of themselves may be good, we turn those good things into God things, and that becomes a bad thing. And so the world, no, it, it cannot give you what you need. It will only leave you empty. It will leave you wanting more. Well, yeah, okay, but, you know, maybe I can, you know, love God and, and maybe just have a little bit of love for the world, right? Well, for this, let's see what our Lord Jesus Christ says in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. He says, no one, no one, this is universal negation, no one can serve two masters. Oh, wait a minute, uh, God and the world, you mean to tell me I can't serve both? Nope. And by the way, it's not me speaking, that's Jesus. And if you have issue with that, take it up with him. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. That's just what John is saying here. If you love the world, you can't love the Father. And indeed, that's, it ends up being hatred of the Father to love the world. What is it James, the half-brother of Jesus, says? Friendship with the world is enmity toward God? Man, it's, it's almost like all these different voices are, well, there's one voice in back of all of them. Indeed, there is. It's got the voice of God. Uh, Jesus specifically says here, you cannot serve God and money. Here, John is essentially saying, you can't serve God and the world. That fallen 
world system that's under the power of the evil one. Because if, if you end up serving the world, guess, you, guess who you're really serving? The evil one, the devil. And so the world, no, it, it cannot give you what you need. And, and no, it is not possible to both love the world and love the Father at the same time. And John recognizes that. You love the world. The love of the Father is not in you. Wow, devastating. John goes on in verse 16 and he says that the world cannot give you what it promises. The world cannot give you what it promises. He says here in verse 16, for all that is in the world, that is everything that the world can produce, everything that it can promote, everything that it can promise. And it will promise you many things. It will promise you uh, sensual satisfaction. It will promise you gratification for a time. But these promises, they, they go unfulfilled. You want this writ large? Watch the evening news. You want this writ, writ large? Watch an episode of, uh, what's that, E! Hollywood, whatever, right? Uh, Hollywood shows us. There are so many examples that can be multiplied that when you go chasing after the world, all that the world promises collapses on itself. And every single promise goes unfulfilled. That any gratification it can give you is only transient. It's only for a time, for a season. John focuses on this term desire. It can also be translated as lust. It is a, a longing, even a passionate longing. It's a, a craving for a particular thing. And here it is a craving, a desire for the flesh. It's also a desire of the eyes. And it's also uh, here connected to, related to, the pride in possessions. In and of itself, that term desire isn't necessarily a bad term. We're to desire God. It's the object of that desire that determines whether it's a good desire or a bad desire. And here, these are bad desires. The desire of the flesh. We could talk about this is our, these are our appetites. Certain appetites that, that we want to gratify. The desire of the flesh, it certainly starts on the inside. Internal appetites, internal desires. And it can be expressed externally as well. A strong impulse for sensual gratification, sexual gratification. Uh, gratification of certain uh, addictions. But all these things are to be choked out. We're not to give, give the devil a foothold. And in fact, we are told uh, that uh, in, in Romans chapter 13 and verse 14, we are told to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Once again, Paul and John in perfect harmony with one another. That those appetites, certain of them, are designed for our survival. Like you have an appetite to eat, to consume food, right? But that can be, again, distorted. It can become a disordered appetite. And when it does, well, it maybe looks something like gluttony. And that, that is a desire of the flesh that is of the world. It is not of God. 
That's just what John says there at the end of verse 16, isn't it? It's not from the Father. It's from the world. And so that appetite, even those that are for our survival, we must bring them into control and under submission by all the power that the Father supplies us through the Spirit. Appetites, we are to recognize and control by the Spirit. But then John goes on, he talks about the desires of the eyes, all those things that are external of us. And we, we, we look out and we see everything that our eyes can light upon and see, uh, whether it be the clothing that we wear or the houses that we have, the furniture, uh, just the, the various accoutrements that go with living in this world. These are, we could talk about, these are our affections, the things that we love. And we've already talked about how we are to parse the various loves that we have. That not, it's not true that love is love, but some loves are to be disregarded and uh, uh, put to death even. You know, we, we love what we treasure. And again, to, to go back to our Lord's Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, we noted just a few moments ago, verse 24, if we back up to verse 19, we get further illumination on the, the desires of the eyes, our, our affections, the things that we love, again, being related to what we treasure. Jesus, in Matthew 6, in verse 19, says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Well, if we don't lay up treasure for ourselves on earth, earthly, worldly treasure, where ought we to lay up our treasure? Jesus goes on, verse 20, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He goes on, uh, verse 22, The eye is the lamp of the body. Remember those desires of the eye? What are you letting into your body? What you're looking at? What you're seeing? So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Why it's so careful that we maintain discipline in what we are taking in, what we are looking upon, but also what we love. We look at what we love, and we are to bridle these desires as well. Our appetites, our affections, we can also talk about our ambitions. That's related to the pride in possessions, the pride of life. This can deal with those, uh, again, those uh, things that we wish we had, but maybe don't have. Or even those things that we do possess. Uh, these would be things like position and power. These would be things like uh, great offices. Uh, your family ancestry, taking pride in those things to an inordinate degree. These would be the, the great offices that uh, people can hold. Local, state, federal, taking pride in those things. It could be about who you know, name dropping and things like that. It can be boasting in thinking that we have control of our future plans and our future destiny. And in fact, as James says, what we ought to say is, if the Lord wills, 
This is uh, the Nebuchadnezzar syndrome. You remember Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, he had a dream. Daniel comes, he interprets it for him, tells him what's going to happen. And a year later, Nebuchadnezzar is out walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, Daniel 4, verse 30. And as the, the king is looking upon his kingdom, we see a gleaming example of pride in possessions. He says, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Affluenza is what someone has called this. It is a, a very subtle disease, an eye disease that focuses on I and me and my, and you hear it there in Nebuchadnezzar, get all of my stuff. And the Lord drove him out of his mind for several seasons, and great was the fall, because we know pride goes before the fall. That's right. Again, all of these things are not from the Father. They don't have their origin or end in God. They are from the world. Again, John using that term world to talk about that fallen, ordered system that is under the power of the evil one. That, that worldview perspective that is influenced by the evil one. John goes further. The world can't give you what you need. It can't give you what it promises. And it also cannot give you what will last. Verse 17, the world is passing away. That's a present tense uh, verb that is used here. It is in the process of going out of business. And it is a fire sale, as it were, because one day this world will be on fire. What do you love? What will you love when this world is on fire? The world is passing away, even right now. This is related back to chapter 2, verse 8, here in 1 John. The darkness is passing away. We saw that uh, a couple of weeks ago. Same terminology is used here. The world is passing away along with its desires. All of those desires, all those, uh, all those un ungodly, worldly appetites, affections, ambitions, those are going the way of the dodo. They're going out of business, fading away. And so nothing that the world can give you will last. It will, again, go away. It will cease to exist. It will end. But whoever does the will of God, this is why several weeks ago we emphasized, if you want to know God, obey Him. The one doing the will of God the one who is obeying God, in other words. John says, that's the one who abides forever. The one who seeks the pleasure and the honor from above. Who seeks to do that which is pleasing to God. That is the one who abides forever. It is a sharp contrast that John presents here. 
between the world, which is passing away, and the child of God who loves the Father and abides forever. This is why you do not love the world. In total, by my count, there are about five reasons as to why John tells us not to love the world. Starting backwards in verse 17, you don't love the world because the world's passing away. It's not going to last forever. You don't love the world because, well, those things are not from the world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. You don't love the world because all that the world promises will go unfulfilled. All those lusts, all those desires, all that pride, it goes out of business. You don't love the world because you're commanded not to. Don't love the world. Stop loving the world. But really undergirding all of these is you do not love the world because you love the Father. You love the Father. And He is worthy of our love. Why? Because He, he has loved us with an everlasting love. A love. He loved you before the foundation of the world. He loved you before... He created anything. He loved you before you even existed. And He loved you in spite of your sin. He loved you in spite of the fact that you would break His heart and choose the world over Him. He still loves you. And He still sends Jesus. He sent Jesus into the world to die on a cross before you were even a sparkle in your granddaddy's eye, your great-great-great-granddaddy's eye. He loves you so much that God the Son stretched out His arms and died on a cross for your sins and mine. This is the love of the Father. And then, He loves us so much, He sent with the Son the Spirit into the world to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And we ourselves have been convicted of our own sin and our own unrighteousness and that there is a coming judgment, and, and, and as a result of the Spirit's regenerating work and bringing new spiritual life through the Word, as we heard the Gospel, and we heard the beauty of what our God has done for us, what, what could I do but love Him back? You see, this is the Gospel. Not that, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son into the world. And we'll get there in chapter 4 someday. <laughs> But in the meantime, I, I don't know how to impress upon you the love that the Father has for you. How can we not love Him back? And then there are those times when our love does waver because we are creatures. Because we still do battle against the world and against the flesh and against the devil. And when our love wavers and and in that moment, the desire to sin is greater than our desire for the Father. We know that, don't we? We know that experience. And, and sometimes it's, it's that we, we sin the same sin again and again. And we know it's wrong and we, we know it, it breaks the heart of God and we know we shouldn't do it. But in that moment, that desire wins out. Hear me. 
your Father still loves you with an everlasting love. And He still delights when, when we sinners, saved as we are, when we sinners come before Him confessing and acknowledging, yes, Lord, You are right. I am wrong. You are holy. I am sinful. I did this. I shouldn't have done it. Father, forgive. Forgive and keep walking with me, He says. Keep loving me. Keep cultivating the love that you have for Him. Because again, He has loved us from forever. The world is going to pass away. It will end. But God and those who do the will of God, that's us, brothers and sisters, we will go unendingly into eternity with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Therefore, my exhortation to us, all of us, brothers and sisters, love the Father. Love God. Let us pray. It is difficult for us to comprehend and understand, holy, loving Father, just how much you have loved us. Indeed, we cannot fully understand. We cannot fully comprehend. We do our best, creatures though we are, with our, our finite minds and our, our cognitive abilities, which are subject to our own fallenness. We struggle to understand great love with which you have loved us, and yet we confess and we believe that indeed you have loved us with that everlasting love, with a love that will not let us go. We love you, Father, for that. Help us to love you more. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.